Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. I had not read this passage in this way before, but it is a passage that we all know extremely well. It's the passage of the building of uh, the golden calf. So if you have the source sheet from the bulletin in front of you, wonderful. If not, we're going to be looking at the verses Exodus 32, 1 through 7. So if you just have a chumash, you can open up Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 7. And as I mentioned before, I, I want us to really think about how these verses connect to this idea of refugee Shabbat. So... I've never thought about the golden calf from the perspective of the people who built it because we often think about the fact that it was the wrong thing to do. So we don't then sit back and wonder, why did they do it? What could have been flowing through them that made them feel as though the golden calf was going to bring them some amount of security or some amount of protection. They didn't know what was going on. And this to me is like a perfect refugee text, refugee story. Because one of the things that I think we wrongly do when talking about refugees of any country to any country is we talk about where they came from and we talk about when they arrived. But very often we forget to ask the story of how they got there. Right? We, we don't often talk about the Mitzrayim or the Midbar necessarily that the refugees are going through to get to this place. Because we, in, modern, in 2021, in modern day, we are focused on how to make sure once they are in our midst, they feel comfortable, they feel welcome, they are taken care of, they have homes, they have shelter, they have food, they have everything they need, which is extremely important. But I don't think that we often focus on that travel period and what they might have been thinking, what they might have needed in those moments that we weren't part of. And so when I read this this experience of the golden calf thinking through that lens, it's, it's a completely different story because now it's not something bad. It's something that felt necessary to the people in that moment. And sure, we don't want to believe that we are a people that sees an idol as something that is, um, that brings us safety or brings us comfort. But this people who were in a state of limbo, literally in the Midbar, in an unknown, unboundaried location, needed boundaries needed to have some sort of dimension to what was going on. Moses had taken a long time on the mountain and they didn't know what was going on. So they needed to create something that would be for them a vessel of boundary. So we are going to do this interactively um, for yeah, 10, 12-ish minutes. Um, So if you have something to say, you are going to be allowed to unmute. However, please still raise your hand so that I can call on you and you don't all talk at once. Uh, And we won't all be able to speak. So I'm just going to say that from the outset. Um, 
Feel free to send me an email after Shabbat. Many of you do. I love reading how you interpret my teachings. Feel free to tell me what you think if you don't get a chance to speak in person right now. Okay. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 7. So let's start. We're going to read in the English for time sake. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered against Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who shall go before us. For that man, Moses, who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. So this is the first moment where the people are wondering, So we had a leader. The leader took us to this place. Now we don't know where our leader is. And we don't know what to do. Okay, everybody with me thus far? Does anybody disagree with that premise? I always love a good disagreement. No? Okay. All right. We'll keep going. Hopefully you disagree with something else I say. Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and, uh, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all of your bling, take it off. And all the people took off the gold rings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. They did what he said. This he took from them and cast in a mold and made it into a molten calf. And they exclaimed, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That is a very complicated sentence, right? Very complicated verse. So Aaron is the one in this moment who we believe is making the golden calf. Okay, not the people, though it's their stuff. And they say to, we assume, the calf, the golden calf, this is your God, O Israel. So they are now praising this statue as God. So my first question to all of you is, what, what's the confusion here? Between verse 1 and verse 4, what's the, there's been a shift. What is the shift that has happened between verse 1 and verse 4? Yeah, Paula. Hi, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. So... I, can I go back to the first yeah. verse and why didn't Aaron say, no, Moses is, you know, going to be back. Let's trust God. And, and, you know, our leader, why wasn't, why wasn't he pushing back against the people? Why did he immediately just say, okay, take off your earrings, um, you know, your finery, let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's do that. And then I think maybe he experiences regret and he sees, oh my goodness, what have I done? And he tries to make it transformative that it's just a representation of um, of God, the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, like remembering our our narrative, like really our most important transformative event. Great. Great. I'm going to let that sit because there are other hands, but fantastic comment. Larry or Diane and then Tamar. So briefly, I'm just going to point out that Alter claims that in verses 1 and in verse 4, the Elohim is plural and not translated as we translate it as singular. So, in fact, what they've reverted to is a polytheism that they had previously. Mm -hmm. That begs the question of whether, in fact, the Hebrews were monotheistic before they were taken out to the wilderness. But if you take this, if you extending what you said, this may often be the case of refugees who, not given the right support, will revert to their former culture and former practices, which polytheistically would then be in opposition to the culture in which they're being integrated, something like that. 
Something like that is exactly the drosh. So we could be done now and just move to Musaf. That was beautiful and exactly what I'm going for. And and Larry, the the thing that I think in Alter pointing out that it's plural, which was the prompt that I was going to, and I hope tomorrow I'm not stealing your thunder, um, is that the people at the beginning in verse one are talking about Moshe no longer coming down. And then all of a sudden they're equating Moshe to God now, right? So at first they were just nervous about not having a leader. And then all of a sudden now they're saying, well, forget about the Moshe guy. We just need a God. So it's interesting for all, for a whole host of reasons that Elohim is plural. And I think the the kind of smushing together of Moshe and God, it's a technical term in rabbinic Judaism, smushing together of Moshe and God, that is that that could be seen as a reason that Elohim here is plural, even though we don't think of God, sorry, as Moshe as God, obviously. But in this moment, the people are. So your drosh is beautiful and uh great minds think alike. Tamar. You took the words out of my mouth. Right? Oh, no. Fine. Did I really? It's fine. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I had a feeling I might. But tomorrow, you'll have good tour to share with us afterwards. Okay, Joanna. Building a little bit on what Larry said, um, I think sometimes what we want to see and hear is like the easy solution of like the one magic transformative moment. Yeah. And, you know, as, as much as happened to B'nai Israel, you know, at the moment that they left Egypt or that they received the 10 commandments, you know, a magical transformative moment when everything changed for them. And it's really a process and takes a long, long time. And I think in terms of applying it to refugees, like, when we first hear of them in our midst, you know, we tend to infuse a lot of support, but do we keep thinking about it in the long term? Because I think it takes a long time to achieve full community integration and a full sense of belonging. And in fact, if you talk to many immigrants, they will tell you that they always feel like an immigrant. So even many, many years later. Um, So I think it's, you know, it's a lesson in thinking about big picture and long term. Great, great. Carl. So looking a little further forward, uh, I think there's a word that appears twice, something along the lines of break out. Uh, Aaron is accused of letting the people break out. And Mm. I think this isn't quite aligned with your, your refugee theme, but maybe a different theme of peoplehood and leadership that when people get nervous, worried, anxious, they need some kind of guidance in how to deal with it, how to channel it. And Aaron isn't giving them any guidance. He's just going with the mob nervousness. Yes. Uh, So lessons in leadership. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I think that, and and we're going to read these next few verses in a second, but I think one of the, okay, Karen, because I love you so much. Last word. <laughs> this is Aaron, Moses's brother. Yeah. The high priest, all that. Yeah, yeah. All that, that whole guy. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> okay, great. Um, all right. I lost my other train of thought. Um, Karen Cass for the win, everyone. All right. So <laughs> chapter 32, verse five. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. 
And Aaron, the high priest, that whole guy, Karen, announced tomorrow shall be a festival of the Lord. So not only are they making this golden calf, but now they are creating a whole festival around this calf being in existence and being something to be praised. Early the next day, the people offered up burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. They sat down to eat and drink and then rose to dance. Adonai spoke to Moses, hurry down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have acted basely. So again, not only are we creating this golden calf, this, this symbol of idolatry, but the people are rejoicing around it as if they've found what they needed, right? They found their leadership. They found their God. They found their comfort in this golden calf. And God then says to Moses, we got to be done here. This meeting needs to end because those people need your leadership. They need to know what it is that comes next for them. They've, they've lost it. They don't have any boundaries right now, so they've created their own boundaries. Okay, we are going to look at two of like eight sources that I sent you. Um, But again, if you didn't uh, print the source sheet and you would like to later, you'll see these sources at another time. So Rashi says um, on this line that... uh, mm, Rashi... Yeah. Okay. So I'm just trying to decide which of all these sources I want, I have time to share. So Rashi says the people recognize there used to be someone who used to show them the way Moshe, right? Who, who used to show them the way now that Moshe is dead. The people believe we need gods, which shall go before us. So the, the Torah that Tamar put into my brain that I shared in her, in her words, um, is that they are, they are comparing Moshe to God here. Moshe is gone, therefore we need gods. And similar to Larry's point, if we put ourselves into a situation where we no longer have structure, we no longer have boundaries in modern day Judaism, we no longer have halacha, all of a sudden everything's, everything's game. Right? So they could have multiple gods because they didn't know where their one god was in that moment. They had lost connection. Okay. Um, we're going to read the Ramban also here. Yes, Rick. You just have to unmute. Yeah, okay. Hi. Hi. Um, so um, in verse 5, uh-huh. it, it's a miscommunication also because Aaron is trying to be tricky about things. And he says, okay, let's make an altar, and we're going to worship Adonai. Not Elohim, not, not the gods of Egypt. We're going to worship Adonai. So mm-hmm. he's trying to, um, they're thinking one thing, and he's thinking another, and um, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not going well. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, especially based on um, altars connection for verse one and four that are Elohim, right? That, that now Aaron is trying to get them to, to use God, the God that they, that they know of as the God who delivered them from the land of Egypt and not any kind of polytheistic um, uh, representation of the divine. So th- that's, that's, a very, that's a very close read that Aaron is trying to steer them back towards where they're supposed to go. But because this golden calf, which is beautiful and in front of their faces, 
they they seem to still be going in that path when really Aaron's trying to take them in this one. Very interesting. I hadn't noticed that before. Okay, Ramban. Ramban says, what they needed was a new man of God. It's not, you don't usually hear that in Judaism, but again, we are equating Moshe to God and vice versa here. You can learn from Aaron's excuse to Moses that it is as I have explained. They said to me, make us a God to lead us, not a God to worship. He explained to Moshe, as long as you were gone, they needed a guide. If you should return, they would leave him and follow you as they had done at first. In fact, this is exactly what happened, said, says Nachmanides. As soon as the people saw Moshe, they abandoned the calf contemptuously, letting Moshe burn it and grind it to powder without anyone intervening. In fact, they fled from the calf without Moshe saying a word to them. If they had really worshipped the calf, they certainly would not have let Moshe burn it without stoning him to death. So, though I think that they just, they wrote their own, like, Hollywood production in that, in that, uh, in that commentary, I'm not, I'm not sure that they would have stoned him, but it is interesting that the people don't seem to be angry with the fact that the, that the calf goes away because all they needed was a leader. So as leader, as soon as the leader, you know, resurfaces, they don't need that calf any longer. And similar to those of us who are in transition from living at home to living alone to from um, high school to college, from getting out of a terrible situation and moving to a different country, whatever it is, whether you are a refugee in, in the literal sense of the word or you are just someone who is moving from one thing to another, we all have those moments of do I take that with me or do I take do I go with what I know is going to come to me to be of support and comfort that I knew before that's going to now come back. In that limbo area, in that mead bar, they needed something to bring them back to the leadership that they knew that they had and they knew that they were going to have. Hannah, I see your hand. Let me just give my like final thing and then you can have the final word. By the way, I just want to point out that Rashbaum, I'm not going to read the commentary, but Rashbaum's commentary, the English translation, uh, the first line of the English translation is, were the Israelites all idiots? I just wanted you all to know that that was a, that was a commentary I brought and you should all read it. Okay. Um, we see, okay, I also, I also see Bobby. So, okay, hold on, just hold on one second. Let me finish this and then you can both speak. We see 10 chapters ago, or we hear, we learn, we remind ourselves that we shall not wrong the stranger or oppress the stranger because we were strangers in the land of Egypt. And the Adarit Eliyahu says, you know the sorrow of the stranger, and we learned you also know the soul of the stranger. So when we are thinking about what happened in the Midbar, in the, the in-between space from being slaves to being free, we know what that's like. We know what it's like to feel like a people who didn't know what was coming next, who didn't know how to find those boundaries, find that safety. And so we can't blame ourselves if you believe that we were all there or our ancestors for creating something that was going to provide them with that feeling of being home. 
of being comforted, of being with a leader that was going to take care of them. So the last thing I will say, and then I'll let our congregants have the last word, is that I hope, I know we dedicate every once a year a Shabbat to refugee Shabbat, but that means that from March 6th to next March whatever, that there's a Midbar in there, that we need to make sure that we are taking care of people between the moment that we are thinking of them and that we are drashing from them on the bima to the next moment that we do that. Because those golden calves are very easy to erect. They're very easy to find, to find something that will take you off the path because you think it'll bring you comfort. But it's our job, it was Aaron's job, and it was Moshe's job to be the ones to bring that comfort from the beginning into the middle and then at the end. Not just when they're in our midst and not just when we can welcome them through our doors, but also in their journey to coming home or their journey through whatever transition they're going through. So I hope that we can all remember that we were these strangers. We were these strangers in the land of Egypt and we needed that comfort and we needed that help. And so now that we have found that community and we have found our leaders and we have found those who provide that for us, we need to do that for others who are struggling to create their own homes and to create their own leaders. Chana, Bobby, and Kelohenu. I guess I noticed here that early next day, the people offered up burnt offerings and yeah. brought sacrifices and they sat down to eat and drink and then rose to dance. So maybe they needed a festival. Maybe it wasn't worship that they needed, but they just needed something to be happy about. So they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am. I, I, as was mentioned earlier, I see this as part of a continuum do we worship Moses or do we try to emulate Moses? Mm. And, you know, Moses negotiates with God. And that's what most of us do uh, as yeah. Jews. We're not looking for a godlike leader. We're not looking for Jesus. We're looking for leadership and trying to find God. And, and I do see it as part of, a, of an evolutionary process. Um, and I guess, yeah, we're not supposed to be idol worshipers. And, and I guess this, what you raise gives us understanding as to why, but it's still, it, it's not, it's not a Jewish thing to, uh, you know, uh, worship idols, uh, except Billy Idol. But anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah, no, that's a good joke. I think you're right. And I think that even if we are not a people that believes in idol worship, meaning putting a statue in the sanctuary, we all have idols, right? We all have things that we hold too high up in our lives, or we all have things like our phones or our email or these days Zoom that we worship because they allow us access to something. And I think that that's what the people were doing here. You're completely right that we, that we don't try to find our leaders as God figures. We try to find the holiness in everybody, but w- there are ways in which we idolize that which shouldn't be become idols. And I think that that is something that 
we don't make it into a golden calf, but we do make it into something that takes away from the spirituality of finding that comfort or that support in other things. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.